Sam with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And today's show, we had just a tiny bit of technical difficulty, and we lost our first caller. What I'll try to do is go ahead and recreate that, and then I'll bring you up to speed, and we'll join our show already in process at that point. First caller called in. His complaint was that when he drives his car, it doesn't want to shift into overdrive. In other words, it drives fine, it shifts one, two, and three, but won't shift in overdrive, and he was wondering if he had a transmission problem. One of the things that I suggested was that he checked to make sure the engine is getting up to full temperature. A lot of vehicles have a feature where if they don't reach full temperature, in other words, until they get to 180 degrees, the car won't shift in overdrive. Now, the reason they do that is to help the engine warm up faster. Of course, his first comment was, well, my temperature gauge is just fine. Now, at that point, we tried to explain that there, many cars also have two different sensors, one for the temperature gauge and one for the engine computer. Now, it really doesn't matter if the car is getting the temperature or not. If the sensor doesn't see that it's getting the temperature, it just won't know. It may go to a default reading, which is maybe 30 degrees below zero. Now, obviously, if the computer thinks the car is 30 degrees below zero, it's just not going to shift it into overdrive. Now, newer vehicles, say 1996 and up, the check engine light may very well catch this. What they've done is added a feature that starts to time how long it takes the engine to warm up. And if it doesn't reach operating temperature within a certain time frame, it's going to flag a light to tell you it knows something's wrong. But on pre-1996 model vehicles, it may not do that. So that's where we left off. Let's go ahead and join our show already in progress. One of them went bad. And as long as it gets a reading... The computer cannot determine if that reading is correct or not. It just assumes it's a reading. Now, if it's an open wire, like it's unplugged, it knows that it may flag a check engine light. Right, because it's not getting its five volt reference back. Right, or if it gets shorted to ground. Right, it may know that. But if it's reading, but reading improperly, it has no way to determine whether a reading is a proper reading or an improper reading. And that's a shame, really, because. It really depends on the temperature sender to set the fuel amounts and right. things like that. And that's pretty much the case with almost any sensor. As long as they get a reading, they really don't have too much way of knowing if it's a correct reading or not. Now, some of them, some have, of them, a, do. Some have a fuzzy logic mm. built into there. They kind of know, like an oxygen sensor knows that the midpoint is, say, 128, and it should be sweeping back and forth past that midpoint so many so times. Many, right. So if it goes all the way to one side or the other, it suspects it's a problem. It's going to kick a light for that. Right. And again, it doesn't mean the sensor's bad. It just means it's not reading properly because, as we see all the time, something like an injector stuck open could be flooding the engine and cause the O2 sensor to read too rich. Right. Could, or could have a vacuum, vacuum leak. Vacuum leak, make it read too lean. Right. Either one, the sensor doesn't sweep. The computer sees and says, hey, something is wrong here. It doesn't know what, but it knows that sensor should be sweeping and it's not. So it's going to kick on light. And the light that it's going to, the code is going to affiliate with that is oxygen sensor fault. Now, unfortunately, what most people do, they get that code, and first thing they do is go start changing oxygen sensors. Right. And they end up spending four or $500 on junk they don't need. I was going to say, those that, things get expensive. Well, unfortunately, the ones they're putting in are usually not as good as the ones they took out. Exactly. Because a brand-new, cheap aftermarket sensor is probably worse than an original sensor with 100,000 miles on it. Right. And then they've cr- actually created a problem they didn't have before. So now Plus, they spent a bunch of money. Now... To get it fixed properly, you have to take it somewhere, which is going to cost twice as much right. because they're looking for 
two or three different problems Well, that's problems right. Well, now. first thing they got to do is they got to go and diagnose why this thing is reading wrong. First thing they got to do is find got bad oxygen sensors, so they're going to change those. Well, now the original problem is still there, so then they got to go in and diagnose that. Exactly. So they have to undo everything you did just to get to ground zero and then go from ground zero to fix the problem. Right. And it gets just very, very, very expensive to try to do things that way. I know at one time, that's kind of the way cars were fixed. And right. I get folks in the shop all the time. Man, I used to work on cars all the time. Cars well, were simple back then. When parts cost $10, $9, a set of points cost $3, it really didn't hurt to throw a set of points, plugs, and condensers in the car. No, because it probably needed it anyway. It probably needed it anyway because it went out every 10, 12,000 miles. You walked out spending $25. Right. But now every single part is three to $500. Well, that's it. You had a carburetor, a distributor. That was it. Yeah. You know, yep. if you had fire, fuel, and timing, yeah, it, was it would start. run. That was going to start. For, Not now. For 100 bucks, you could change everything on the engine. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. Fixed it. But, oh, yeah, but, but now, now yeah, well, man. You, you got pulse. I mean, you've got pulse width on the injectors. you got oh, on and on and on and on and on and on. And absolutely no way to check any of these things because they're all electronic feeds. Unless you've got a digital the, lab scope, you know how to read it. Right. The and all the other paraphernalia to go along with it and most important you have to have an understanding of how it all works and everyone works different everyone's programmed different that's right and even two exactly same year models same models can work totally different that's just right depending on what build you've got yeah they, they change all of that up so much so it gets incredibly difficult to try to do even a lot of what they call shops out there have a huge amount of problem they can't keep up with it right a lot of folks just haven't kept themselves abreast of the newer technologies and and I think that's probably the root of one of the problems because at one point in time, somebody took the car to shop, got the wrong diagnosis, and said, well, this isn't doing me any good. I'm spending money for nothing. So they decided they're going to try to Throw do it, parts at it Right. And you go in kind of from one extreme to the other. The key is you've got to know how to select a shop, how to find somebody who can help you because there are folks out there who can't help you. Oh, most definitely. you yeah. just got to know where to find them. Just like in every town, there's one guy who can press a shirt right. There's one guy who can make a pizza right. That's it. <laughs> one guy can fix a landscaping right. <laughs> you just got to yep. find those people. And when you do, you can go ahead and get your problem solved. But it's just going to be way, way, way cheaper to pay a, a professional to go in and diagnose those things for you than to just try to start throwing parts at it. Sure. And there's an excellent article on our website mm -hmm. about how to select a great shop. That's right. And the website to get there is www.agcoauto.com. Right. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. The article is under... It's right on the front page, how to find a great shop. It's... Towards the bottom of the home page is just a link right there. Yeah. And, of course, it's in detailed topics also. But if you just click that link, it's going to take you to an article that's going to give you, I think, a totally different perspective on selecting a shop than anything else I've seen on the web. Right. Because most of what you see on the web is generic, vanilla-flavored, well, look for ASC certification. Right. <laughs> kind of geared toward different things. <laughs> well, and... it's warm and fuzzy, but it doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah. And that's what frustrated me when I started reading some of these articles when I was trying to write this one, I wanted something a little different. And 40 years of being in the industry, obviously, I know how to select a good shop. <laughs> I've seen an awful <laughs> lot of bad ones. So what I tried to do is put a totally different perspective that people could apply to get a good shop. Yeah. Let's go back to our phone lines. got Tom online. Good morning, Tom. Hey, I've got a 2003 Acura TLS. And when I get up to about 40 or 50 or 60 miles an hour, it's making a kind of a loud whistling noise, and you know, like it's coming from the under the hood, the bearings or something. Okay. And the actor shop told me that I need a resonator box and an intake air filter box or something that it said it was broken. Okay. That's what was making the noise. Well, one it's easy possible. way to test that, Tom, is just to get it up at the speed where it's doing it 
mm-hmm. put it in neutral, and let the engine slow down. And if the noise goes away, then that's possible. If okay. the noise is still there, then they're all wet. Because the engine's going to slow down at, yeah. to an idle when you do that. And if noise is still there, then it's more likely going to be something in the suspension doing it. But that would just be a quick way to test it. Now, another way that you could probably test it is sitting still if you brought the car up to that speed. And up to that RPM. To that RPM and see if the noise is there. Okay. Okay. I can, I can do the neutral thing. Um, yeah. Try and that. Kinda, and and what they looked at the bearings and cause I thought it was the bearings. Well, it's not going to, it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to diagnose the problem for you, but at least tell you if that diagnosis is correct or not. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean it is correct if it doesn't do it, but it definitely means it's not correct if it won't. Thank you. Very All righty. All right, okay, Tom, bye-bye. You want to be part of the automotive hour? We'd love to have you. We're going to take a quick little break. Joe, hang on. You'll be straight up after the break. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters, and I do mean characters. You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Go! Forty years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. (sighs) Donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive. Yep. There you go. There we got us. All right. <laughs> go ahead and give us calls. And we're going right to the lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe. How you doing, Louis? Doing great, man. Look, I bought a Corvette into you about a year and a half ago and had the steering column lock on it. Okay. And there was a recall, you said. So I brought it to one of the Chevy dealers, and they mm-hmm. fixed it. Okay. But... The light, the steering column lock will come on, say that it's locked, and you okay. got to hit the reset every time. Really? I mean, it's not locking, but... Yeah, but the light's coming on? Yep. Yeah, need to probably bring it back to them, Joe. I mean, that should still be part of recall. It's obviously not fixed. Okay. I mean, even though it's not locking, they may have knocked a wire off or damaged the sensor when they were in there. I mean, I would take that back and try to get that steel covered under that same recall. Okay, I got a I second mean, question. If not, I mean, we can go in and fix it for you, but I hate to see you pay for something that should be under warranty. You already paid for the warranty. Yeah. Okay, it says, like, service tire monitor system. On. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's that's a sensor that's inside of each wheel, and it senses the pressure. And what happens when it's saying service tire monitor is probably one of the sensors has either been damaged or has gone dead. They've got a battery in them, and that battery has a life. And the life is probably less than 11 years. So there's four of them in there, one in each tire. Mm-hmm. I would imagine one or more of the batteries has probably died in, in the sensors. So is that hard to change? Not hard, but kind of expensive. It's a, on that one there, on 99, it's going to be like a great big old hose clamp wrapped around the wheel. And the sensor will be right at the valve stem. When you no, break the that, sensor is going to be on the opposite side of oh, the I'm valve sorry, stem on that car. Yeah, 
be real careful when you break that tire down because you'll break that sensor if, you, if you're not real careful. But do you do that? Oh, oh yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, uh, bring it when they get a... older like that, see, that's more of that crud that the government mandate <laughs> they put on yeah. there. And when raise the, the price when of cars car get up. old, I mean, all those batteries go dead, and you got a big old repair bill on your hands for something that nobody ever used anyway. Uh, typical government. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it. absolutely, man. Well, I'm going to bring it in and let you look at that. Maybe okay. you can look at the steering column at the same time. I'll pull a code on it and at least see what it is and see if maybe we can get it covered under your recall. If not, it can fix for you. Okay. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Right. Bye-bye. We've got Roy online. Good morning, Roy. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a 95 Buick Century, mm-hmm. and it runs great thanks to ACO. Okay. The problem I have is it's leaking, starting to leak oil. Okay. And I wonder if. If there's an easy way to find where the leak is oh, yeah. and what's involved. Yeah, we can find it, Roy. What you would need to do, first off, you can go the easiest way, just a general inspection with the car up in the air. A lot of times you can physically see where it's coming from. Right. If you can't, we can add some fluorescent dye to the oil. And what that will do is as it comes out, it's going to leave a trace. I can put a set of glasses and a black light, and I'll see a big yellow stain wherever the oil is coming out. And that's particularly handy if it's been leaking for a while. There's a lot of oil on there because you can't see where all the oil is coming from. Right. But uh, those cars had a problem with the oil pan gaskets leaking on them quite a bit because the machine work was too rough. And GM came out with a bulletin where they wanted you to use some RTV along with the gasket to seal it. And they also have some trouble with the intake manifold gaskets leaking all at the back and the front. That's the two most common leaks we see. But yeah, to answer the question, we could add fluorescent dye to it, and we can find it wherever it's at. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to bring it in to you and let you check it out. Okay, Mr. Roy. Thank you, Lyle. thank you, sir. Bye bye. Okay. And we got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a Buick Century also. Okay. It's an O2, and I've got a power window problem. Okay. The driver's side window quit. Well, none of the windows were working. Yeah, that was pretty common on those. I took the switch out, mm-hmm. and on the driver's window, it was the switch itself was making a funny little grinding noise. Okay. So, of course, I went on the web and bought another one. Mm-hmm. It got a nice new switch, put that in there. Mm-hmm. The driver's window right in the switch is making the same funny little grinding yeah, noise. Yeah, probably the noise that you're hearing, Mike, is that the motor is pulling too much amperage and is arcing inside the switch. See, what you're treating is a symptom and not a problem. And if that motor is shorted and it's pulling 35 amps instead of the 5 or 6 that it's supposed to, it may cause the contacts to arc, and that's probably what you're hearing. Probably the motor. That most Possibly. likely, but I would hate to see you go change a motor without checking it further because it could be a wire shorted to ground, too. You know, it's some kind of a short circuit. Something's pulling too much amperage through the system is what it is. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right, Mike. Just in case you don't get a chance to call in or don't care to call in. Or maybe think of something during the week right. and we're not on the air. Mm-hmm. You can always visit our website and get your questions answered there. The address is www.agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O, Agco Automotive. Right. That'll get you to our website, and there's three databases you can search depending on what type of answer you're looking for right there's the vehicle questions which is kind of a short to the point answer to a particular question there's over 600 there oh yeah i think 610 as of this morning okay there's also the detailed topics section which is a more in-depth answer to a particular topic one of those came on this morning about oh geez i'm tax my brain here Uh (laughs) trying to remember what it was about but those come on roughly every saturday morning i normally put one of those on there around five o'clock in the morning is when they pop on Mm -hmm. and those will give you a lot more information on a specific topic the one that's currently on there is called don't buy it 
And what it is is talking about the extended oil changes. I know we've talked about that before, but this gives you some pictures of cars and the sludge problems that we're starting to see on a daily basis. Because of lack of maintenance. Right. Going four, five, six thousand miles between oil changes and then going out a hundred thousand miles, you end up buying timing chains, rear main seals, valve cover gaskets, stuff that costs way, way, way more than you're ever gonna save on an oil chain. Could have been prevented with been the proper prevented maintenance in most cases. So right. you might want to take a look at that article. And of course the third database on there is the Agco database that tells you about Agco Automotive. If you should choose to do business with us, what are your hours, what credit cards do you take, how much you charge for a diagnosis, why do you not quote prices on the phone, all those sorts of things about Agco if you should choose to decide to do business with us. Instead of having to call and ask a bunch of questions, you can get right. just about any question you might have answered right there. there you so go. What are your business hours? What holidays do you take? All that sort of thing is in there as well. So it's a www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com. Pop on there and see what you think. I think you'll really like it. And we're going back to our phone lines with Maynard. Good morning, Maynard. Hey, good morning. Hey, good man. morning. Oh, pretty good. I have two questions. I have a 2008 GMC pickup. Okay. And my clock just seemed to arbitrarily change itself and look like working fine, but, mm -hmm. you know, every now and then it just, time just changes. Yes, sir. Maynard, well, not common, but that is almost always going to be a reset of the vehicle memory, which is almost always something to do with the battery or the electrical system. What's happening is that that clock has got a little power feed on it when you turn the key off that keeps enough power on the chips to maintain the time. If for any reason the power drops out in the system, it's going to reset to zero at that point. And depending on when it goes to, to zero, zero, which is at 12 o'clock, it's going to start timing again from there. So your time is going to always be wrong. It's going to always be wrong a different amount. Now, it doesn't have to drop power completely. If power drops below about 10 volts, it may reset. So and what causes that? Well, I would check first, like the battery cables, make sure they're tight, tight, because those trucks are notorious for the battery cables getting loose on them. If you got a loose cable, it may crank fine. See, 8 volts will crank that starter just fine, but it's not going to run the computers. Now, you may get a big surprise when you go get an inspection sticker. You may fail inspection, too, because it's probably resetting the engine computer as well. That's the number one cause of that. Now, I'd start looking at the battery cables. If it's not that, you got to look for, like, wires going to the power center, on and on and on and on. Those are the most likely cause. Now, of course, it's possible it could be a defect in the clock itself, but that would be pretty rare, and that power reset is way more common. Would that vehicle still be under warranty? The yeah, 08? Uh, yeah. Yeah, if you have yeah. 36,000 miles, I'd take I would, it I would in. definitely take it in. Yeah, I'd take it in and get that covered because mm -hmm. it can actually damage a lot of other things. So if, it could be some type of electrical problem where the power is dropping out. What they call the, they call it a cam, keep alive memory. If oh. the cam resets, the clock is going to reset. Oh, okay. Because and, uh, it catches me totally off guard. I oh, yeah. I think it's one time, and... I'm late for an appointment. There you go. Yeah, I'd bring that back because that is a symptom of a bigger problem. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. I have one more question. Sure. Uh, the same vehicle. I just recently changed my front brake pads because okay. it was worn, and I even had to have my rotors turned a little mm -hmm. bit because mm -hmm. they were starting to get into the metal. Yes, sir. And I only had like 23,000 miles yep. on there. Is that normal? For, welcome uh, to the world of new Chevy. <laughs> well, uh, welcome to government motors. <laughs> yeah. From 1999 to 2006, they had the best brake system I've ever seen on those trucks. They lasted 150,000 miles. They never squeaked. They never warped a rotor. Everything was great. In fact, for a while there, I said, man, we got to get out of the brake business. And then mm -hmm. here comes 06. They go redesign on the thing, go to the disc drums again, and now they eat shoes up about every 20,000 miles. The rear, shoes, 
the rear shoes last about 40 and they cost 200 bucks. You got to buy them from GM. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, just wait. <laughs> I tell you what, the new cars, man, they they keeping me in. I mean, I say I love them, make me a rich man, but I, oh I sure don't advise anybody to buy one. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, appreciate it. Now All right, man. what to look forward to. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, right we got to take one more quick little break. Brian and David, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Louis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Louis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Host Lewis Alvazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? And we're going back to our line with Brian. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, sir. Yes, good sir. morning. I got a quick question about an 07 Chevy Silverado. Okay. I bought this truck recently. It was a used vehicle. It's yes, got 47,000 miles on it. Okay. Now. So a crew cab with the 4.9. 4.8. Yeah, 4.8. 4.8, I'm sorry. Uh, right. Okay, I recently put a rather large toolbox in the truck. Okay. Probably about a 1,000 pounds or better. Oh, okay. I wanted to know, is there anything that I needed to do over the long term to ensure that I don't burn up any type of transmission or anything? Is it Should I would carry well, that kind of load every day? Do yeah, I need to take you, any special precautions? You're pretty marginal, Brian. It's, you know, it's a half-ton truck. You're out of half-ton. Right. I'm going to tell you the very simplest thing that won't cost you a penny and will have the biggest effect of anything is driving habit mm -hmm. if you drive the truck like you know you got a whole lot of load in other words you right. go easy on it don't accelerate mm -hmm. hard give it time to stop and all that you probably not going to have any trouble as long as you keep the maintenance up on it right if that being said you can do anything you want you can put coolers on the transmission you can do whatever you want if you're going to rawhide it you're going to tear it up because that right. little truck is very, very marginal to start with at its own weight. In other words, we get them in with no load at all with 65,000 miles of transmissions in pieces. Mm -hmm. And that's a lady that goes to the grocery store and back. So it's, right. a, it's a very marginal design to start with. Mm -hmm. You put a lot more weight in there. You're just going to have to be easy with it, man. I mean, as long as you're willing to drive it easy. You know, Brian and I were talking during the break. He's got an old 07 Chevy pickup, and he's got, what, 50,000 miles on his front brakes and, and hadn't had any trouble yet. Yeah. But again, he and I both drive real easy. That's going to be your best bet. Now, beyond that, you want to make sure that you keep the all in the rear end changed. With that kind of weight, I'd be changing every 50,000 miles, and that is a synthetic all. I would be servicing that transmission probably around every 30,000 miles, okay. and that's going to take deck six, which is a synthetic. Now, you don't want to flush. Whatever you do, don't go anywhere and let them flush it because you want that's to, worse than doing nothing that's at right. all. You want a correct service where right. they drop the pan, change the filter, 
Check the valve body. Check right, for any it. trash that's in the and put see, deck six back in. Right, it. and put the correct fluid back in it. And uh, if you do that, that one may already have a transmission cooler. If it doesn't have a transmission cooler, I'd probably look at having that added. I really don't think it does. I don't know. Some don't, do, some don't. don't. I can't. Is, I can't get a handle on how they decide which ones get it, and which ones don't. Is that the right. classic body, or is that the? Yeah, it the, is the classic body style. It's just, okay, it's just like mine. Okay. I don't remember. I don't think mine's got a cooler on it. What we like to do at Agco, Brian, is to go to Chevrolet and buy the cooler setup from them and uh-huh. install it. And that way, it's exactly like a factory cooler. Those little aftermarket coolers that you buy that just got like little plastic things that hold them to the air conditioner condenser, they basically don't do any good at all because there's not enough air gap between that and the condenser for the air to flow through them. So I think that kit from Chevrolet is in the $200 range. Probably takes an hour and a half or so. You got to pull the grill and all out to put it on. But it's well worth go ahead and buy the parts from Chevrolet. Put the original factory cooler on there. That'll do you a lot of good. Gotcha. One more quick question. Sure. Right at the grill, speaking of, there is a little sensor that's located on a flat piece of metal that goes across the front of the condenser coil. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That's what that is that ambient temperature sensor. Ambient temperature. Yeah, what that does, it uses that to check some of the other sensors. It also uses it to anticipate air conditioning load, and it also uses it in some of its fuel calculations. Gotcha. All righty. Thank you so much. Okay, Brian. Thank you. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour? We'd love to have you. And we've got David online. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning, Lewis. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling. I've got an O2 Trailblazer that's mm-hmm. really not mine. It's my daughter's. Uh-huh. And we've always kept it maintained. Mm-hmm. It's probably ninety, a little over 90,000 miles on mm-hmm. it. And within the last three to four months, she has called me on the cell phone and said, Hey, Dad, my car won't start. And we've brought it in. <laughs> it does turn over when she tries to start it. Typically, it she has driven... Just a couple of miles, mm-hmm. stopped off at the post office, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. Uh, dropped the mail off, go back out, yes, and nah, 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 just it spins over, mm-hmm. but it won't start. I'm going to tell you, uh, David, the most— it to the shop, mm-hmm. and they've checked. There's no error codes, but it does it. It probably—it's starting to get almost like once a week. And the thing—and I said, well, okay, well, tell me what you do in order to finally get it started. It happened to her yesterday when I was in New Orleans, and Mm -hmm. she said that what she has always done is she's kind of thinking, even though she's not that old, but Mm -hmm. back when we had carburetors, she would pump, keep pumping the gas, thinking yeah. that it's a fuel problem, and yeah. eventually it does start. Yeah, that, I don't know if it was coincidental. It that is. See, that's drive my wire on that one. You're not doing anything but working a sensor back and forth. You're not giving it any gas when you're pumping the pedal. Okay. What most likely, or, or I'm not going to say most likely, but one thing we see a lot with that problem, with those symptoms, is something in the theft deterrent module is malfunctioning. And what happens is that it thinks the vehicle's being stolen, so it's going to shut it down. And, and that's what module? A theft deterrent module. Oh, really? Yeah, and if you sit and wait about, I don't know, a certain period of time, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is, it resets, and then it'll go ahead and start. That's just one fairly common thing we see on that vehicle. And it can be something as simple as one of the door latches. In other words, you're hitting the, the key fob. It's pulling door latch down, which is telling it's it's locked. But then whenever you go to open the door, it doesn't see you using your key, so it thinks somebody's stolen the car. And it's going to shut okay. the system down. That's just one thing we see a fair amount. And mm-hmm. you would have to have a GM scan tool get into the body control module. There may be a code set in there. There's not a code reader or anything is not going to get it. That's only reading the, the power control module. So if you got the right stuff, you may be able to get to those codes if there are any set. Now, sometimes it doesn't set a code because it considers it's doing a normal thing. Right. But that's just one thing. It's certainly not the only thing. I mean, there's lots of other things that do cause that kind of a problem 
And with it only occurring once a week, it's going to be awful hard for a shop to take because they're not going to be able to duplicate it. You know, if you get in the shop, it's going to sit there for a week and it's not going to do it. There's not much they can do to confirm the fix. You know, well, that's unless what there's some kind of code that, you know, in there. A few shops have looked at it and said right. no. And so I was wondering, and if you're willing to say, I don't know if you, you can say this on the radio, mm-hmm. but would your shop just keep it for a week and try to drive it we around can. and try to get that duplicated? We, and- we do that a lot for folks who have a problem like that. It's just you have to be understanding and patient. If I can't duplicate it, I just can't fix it. And right. so some people, they'll bring it in, leave it a couple of days. Well, can't you? No, I can't. You know, I'm not right. going to just start throwing parts at it because, man, every part is, is three, four hundred dollars. And we're going to run out of guesses before we run out, you know, before you, you run out of money before we run out of guesses. Right, so exactly. it's one of those deals you can have to duplicate it. There are other things like, for instance, the fuel pump can bleed back to the tank and lose fuel pressure under certain conditions. That'll cause that. The fuel Especially pressure. they checked the pressure in the rail. In the fuel well, they did, rail. but it wasn't well, occurring. You exactly. See? So if it's not occurring, right, you're not checking right. anything. If you've got a check valve in the pump and one out of every 200 times it does it and you're checking 199 right. times, it says it's good, but on that 200th yeah. time it didn't. Another yeah. thing is the fuel pressure regulator can leak sometimes, which will cause a flooding condition of the engine because mm-hmm. fuel is leaking back into the fuel rail. So right. there's lots of little things that we could look for and see if we could find. And in, beyond that, it's going to be a matter of leaving it till I can duplicate it. Tell her to watch next time it does it and see. In other words, if she just turns her key to on, all the dash lights will light up. Tell her to look, yeah. and there's going to be one light that says something like security or something to that effect. It'll be a little red light. Sure. Familiarize yourself with that light. Next time it does it, see if that light is on. Right. And if it is, then it's most likely a security system. Now, one last thing, David. I'm sure that vehicle has a tachometer in it. Next yeah. time it does it, tell her when she's cranking it, watch the tachometer and see if the little needle is bouncing slightly mm-hmm. because it should slide. And there's, next time you go to start the car, go out there and crank it, you watch that tach, it'll bounce a few times and it'll start. That right. means it's reading the crank sensor. If it does not bounce, then you're probably losing a signal to your crank sensor or something to that effect. So that all those things will give a shop a little more guidance, right. which will save you money. Right. All right. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I appreciate okay, it, Louis. Man. Thank you for taking my call. All right, David. Thank you, man. Have a good day, guys. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Bobby online. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I got a 1996 Mercury that's glad I call your show every now and then to get right. tips on it because it's running great. Good. Two questions I got, though, Lois. Uh, one is windshield wiper blades. I've been noticing they haven't been cleaning too well. I look in my maintenance log. It's been 18 months since I changed them. Yes. How often should I change them? Man, I tell as you, As often Bobby, as you need to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Man. I don't mean to be vague on it, but uh, yeah. that's just the way those blades are made nowadays. Yeah, they got some of the cheapest blades out there, man. I've seen them go 12 months, and they're just not wiping right. The last set I bought... I bought a set of Trico blades with that single bar on them. Yeah. I put a set of those on my Buick, and they cost me about three times more than a regular blade, but they have lasted probably four times longer than the other ones, and they're still working. So I'm okay. pretty pleased with those right now. Hmm. So if you can find those, the company is Trico, and, they, and they, they distribute them under different brand names, and I'm sure some of the others are probably good. But those monobeams, it's like a solid piece of rubber with a little scraper blade on it rather than the conventional wiper blade. I've had pretty good luck with those. Okay. I put a set on Buick a couple of years ago, and they're still working good. All right. Well, like I said, I, I don't want to change them too often or too little, you know? And, right. Uh, in the old days, I've had them, but in the old days, it seemed like parts lasted longer than yeah. they doing well, the Yeah, everything years. lasted longer. And, and I, tell you, I tell you, if there's a, a nick or something in the windshield, yeah. that'll tear them up in a hurry. Yeah, if you've got a little... Little rock, little chip, rock or chip or something. Every time those blades go across, and it cuts it. And, right. You know, that, they don't that, last for long. 
like I said the other day, I put them on. They kind of chattered, and you know, man, I, it just didn't look. And then it doesn't. When, when it comes down for the final wipe, it doesn't do it clean anyway. Right. All right, Lewis. Now I'm a bigger person. I need you to be my counselor. Okay. okay. I'm driving a '96 Grand Marquis. It looks great. It looks a lot better than me. Okay. I'm thinking of buying a. Now, usually when I buy a car, it's usually three or four years right. old. You know, I trade mm-hmm. up to a '90. Uh, I mean a. A 2006 or something. Right. You say don't do it. Just drive the 96 into the ground because of the quality on the 2000 cars. Well, I'm going to tell you, some of the earlier 2000s were okay. It depends on what you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, Toyota is still a good car, even with this debacle about the gas pedal, which, in my opinion, is more politically motivated problem. But they still building a pretty good car. Even the Ford Crown Vic is a pretty good car. Even up to the the later models, I forgot when they quit making the Crown Vic, but some of those are still real good. Now, in my opinion, around 06 is kind of the break point. Okay. Uh, anything 06 back was still halfway decent. 07 up is where we're really seeing the big problems. Okay. All right. So uh, you could get something know, newer, but I'll get 10 years newer and still not be over the threshold, in my opinion. Yeah, well, man, I, that's what I want to do because then if they keep going downhill, I'm going to be, you know, anyway. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I said, I, I saw that Taurus SHO. I said, that's awful nice, but I don't like to buy new cars. And it's oh, got, yeah. I don't know. Oh, well, yeah. You know, it's got 425 horsepower. Go back and forth to church real fast. Yeah, you know? that's right. I, I tell you, and boy, people are buying those cars now and they're coming in and it's just, guy comes in the other day, got a check engine light on and it, it's a cup holder, a little heated cup holder's bad. Oh, man. He's like, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. He says, I, I don't use it anyway. Take it out. Well, you can't take it out. It's right. wired in. It's wired into the can system. Your yeah, fella comes a- in yesterday. He has a, a Tahoe, check engine lights on, and his gas gauge has been acting erratic. Well, the, the fuel tank sender is bad. It kicks check engine light on. Now, I mean, he could ignore that gas gauge bouncing around every once in a while, but you can't get an inspection sticker with the gas gauge on. Right. What I mean, with the with fuel light on. Light on. So he's forced to spend 700 bucks to fix something that he wouldn't have fixed otherwise. And the new cars are, are just totally like that. You, know, you're not, you don't have the option to fix them or not fix them. You're going to fix them or you ain't going to get an inspection sticker because everything kicks check engine light on. Uh, Crazy, I man. I better, yeah. I, better, I, better, I better just stick with my old buckboard, man. Yeah, there you well, go. Stick it's with been a good car. Well, that, and, and I mean, you could also find you like an 01 or 02 is still a good car and get one with medium mileage on and start taking care of it, and that'd buy you a lot more years. Yeah, well, that's what I did with this one. I got it like two or three years old, and it was taken care of before I got it, and I right. used the acto, uh, you think, of preventative maintenance, right. and it's right. been working great. That's right. You know, that's right. Not, not flashy, but I don't care. Yeah, the cost of a car is way, way low when you way do that. Way down. Man. Well, the more basic of a vehicle you buy, the better off you're going to be. That's right. The one without the bells and the whistles and all the, the BS on them. Break. There's less stuff to break. Can you get them nowadays? Or you, but you can't. You can't. It's getting harder and harder, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even the base yeah. models are coming with that remote entry and the, where yeah, yeah, you're right. getting there yeah. and you push the well, button and it starts and all you that crud. You, you go to the lot and you want a base model car. Well, we ain't got one of those. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> we, we can't sell any of them. Well, yeah. I'm here right. to buy one. Yeah, you know, I want to buy one right now. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I've been and you don't get the discount either. Cause no. you got this, so, well, we got to order the base model, but if you want to buy this one, it's you know yeah. with all the extras. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, just man. more stuff to break down the road. That's right. Yeah, and I tell you what, I hate well, I hate buying a car simply because you know Ooh. why. You know. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. They it's a pain. Like you got an IQ of six. Well, it's a you pain. know, if I'm spending twenty large, I want to be having a whole lot of fun. Right. And exactly. that ain't fun. <laughs> exactly right. You, you, you hit it on the head. It ought to be fun when you spend that much money. That's right. But it's not. It's a drug. You no. got to oh, get yeah. out of there and you. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, yeah that's a big pain. Yeah, keep up the good work. Okay, I really man. love the show. Thank Thanks, you. sir. Bye-bye. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. 
This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Lewis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got my co-pilot, Brian Terry, our lead tech from Agco. Hey, between two of us, I believe we can answer just about any question you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got Steve who's been patiently holding. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Yes, sir. I got left with an old 2000 model Crown Victoria. Okay. And the windshield wipers, when you turn them off, they stay stuck straight up instead yes. of in the down position. Mm-hmm. Y'all ever heard anything about yes. that? Yes, that's fairly common on those, Steve. A couple of things can cause it. A lot of times it is the wiper motor, but it's also got a power supply issue that supplies power when you turn them off to bring them back down. It's called a part cam assembly, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's in that. So we just have to check it and see which one it is on that particular car. But, yeah, I have seen that problem on that car more than a few times. Yeah. What about a, I got an 06 Chevrolet Silverado? Mm -hmm. Is there a... What do you call the cab filter in that thing or not? No, not on 06. They quit putting them in there in 04. Oh, okay. All right. Well, they started, what, in 98? Well, I heard about them, but uh, I didn't know if mine had one. Yeah, or not. they started in 98. I think they ran up to 03, and nobody was changing them, so they just quit putting them in there. <laughs> nobody knew where they were. <laughs> nobody knew where they were. It's a good idea, but they just, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we've got Amos on the line. Good morning, Amos. Yes, sir. Good morning. I've got a problem underneath my van. Okay. Got a town and country Chrysler van. Mm hmm It's a, a knocking sound. Right. When you hit uh, ruts and, yes, and sir. stuff. Yes, sir. Bumps up and hits it. Yeah. it sounds like hitting the floorboard. Oh, yeah. Right. I know the noise you're talking about. Bump, 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 bump. When you hit a bump. Yeah. Yeah, there's several things that, cause, that could cause that. For one thing, the sway bar runs all the way across underneath the car right about your feet. Yeah. And there's an end link that attaches the end of the sway bar to the, the struts. So when the suspension travels, it keeps the suspension steady. Okay. Well, what happens is those end links is just a ball in a socket, and eventually they wear out, and they'll make noise because the ball is actually loose in the socket then. There's also another where the sway bar mounts to the underside of the suspension. There's a rubber cushion and a strap that bolt the sway bar up, mm -hmm. and that rubber cushion gets hard. And when it gets hard, that sway bar starts beating on it, and it makes the hole bigger, so the sway bar gets loose. Now, we have fixed a ton of those for yeah, that problem. We've we seen that. Those two problems is Are, the two most common we see on the town and country for sure. Now, it's possible you could have something like a strut or a strut mount, right. but that's way less common on that car. Most of the time, we find a problem with the sway bar mounts on them. Okay. And not too bad to fix. Yeah, it's got about 69,000 miles That's on about it. right. That's about, yeah. Just about right on it. And uh, you think, would that 
anything I got a uh, extended warranty on it. Do you think up any of that would cover? Probably not. They never cover anything that ever breaks, but you could check with them and see. <laughs> you, you're just about right. Yeah, they, they get your money up front, and then they don't ever cover anything that breaks. And if there's a reason they do, they don't cover yours because of something you did. And that is, a, in my opinion, that's an absolute waste of money. I never buy those things, man. That's just yeah. something, something for the car sales to make more money on. Yeah, I've taken it down to the shop. They've checked yeah. it, and I checked, changed it back to shock. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which one of them was bad? Yeah. But I knew that wasn't a problem. Yeah, but. I would almost bet you that's what it's going to be. And, you know, the way we find that noise, Mr. Amos, is you don't have to have the sway bar to drive the car, so you can temporarily disconnect it and tape the links out of the way and go drive it. If noise is gone, you know that's what it is. Okay. So it's pretty easy to diagnose. All right, sir. All righty. All right, Troy. I thank you very right. much. Thanks, hey, sir. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a 2000 Suburban. Got about 140,000 miles on it. Okay. And like to try to keep it going as long as I can. Yes, sir. Never had done any real major maintenance to it. You know, do regular oil change every 3,000. Yes, sir. The only thing I do have that's an issue probably is my ABS module. Yes, not working. right. Right. Well, I tell you what, David, those little modules are obscenely expensive from General Motors. I'm talking like an $1,100 range. Correct. Uh, we've got a guy that we've been sending them off to who rebuilds them for about $200 and works just fine. The brand-new GM one comes with a one-year warranty. He gives you a three-year warranty. And I changed one yesterday. In fact, we even got a couple of them in stock because we've changed so many of them out. But we go back with that rebuilt module. I've had excellent results with those, and for about one, about twenty percent right. the cost. We can take yours off your vehicle and tape up the connections and right. cover up the hydraulic part of right. it, and send, and it, send off. it off, and you can still drive your vehicle without it. Right. And it, when it comes right. back take in, take about a week to get it back. Right. When it comes back, we'll get you back in and put it back on right. for you. Okay. That works out real well. It's a cost-effective way. What this guy's done is just created a cottage industry because of GM's exorbitant prices. It's created a whole new industry. That's American right. spirit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about other maintenance as far as the transmission, rear? David, end? I would be service. Change plugs or anything like that. Yeah, man, David. If it's time, if you don't jump on it right now. You're getting close to the point of no return. Right. What most people tell me is, well, I wasn't having any symptoms. It was running fine. You will not have any symptoms. The first symptom you can have is when you get towed in on a record and it don't run no more. And I'm telling right. you, you need to spend three grand. That's the first symptom. So the plugs, what happens, as they wear, the computer just commands more burn time. It's going to keep on running just fine. It's going to idle smooth. The gas mileage is going to be good. But it's going to melt down eight call packs at 200 bucks a piece. So you end up with a several thousand dollar repair for something that could have been prevented by changing the spark plug. Same thing with the rear end. It's not going to do a thing. It's going to drive right along. And then one day you'll give it the gas and you hear, and it's going to quit when you let off. Well, that's a $1,200 rear end rebuild. Yeah, same, some, same thing with the transmission. You know, it's doing fine. All of a sudden, wham, that won't go in reverse and won't go in second gear, and it's 3000 bucks. Something else you need to be looking for, too, is the cooling system. Oh, yeah. Man, if you haven't done anything with the cooling system, it may, be, in it. it may be past the point of no return. What I would recommend to you, David, before you spend a nickel on this van is to bring it in let me do a general inspection on it and tell you where you're standing right now. And I may tell you, hey, Dave, it's time to walk, man, because – yeah, you if, may be if the, looking. If the coolant hasn't been changed, you may have some huge problems looming. Now, right. that said, if the pH comes back okay on the coolant, it's not too corroded up, transmission isn't burned or anything, you might still get by, go ahead and do all your maintenance, bring everything up to date, and then you might be able to get – I mean, I, I got a Suburban in there the other day with 295,000 miles on it. Guy's still driving it, but he's done all the maintenance on his. So right. – 
you're not past the point of no return, but you're very, very closely approaching it. Okay. I appreciate it. All righty. All right. Thank you. Thank you, man. Welcome. Bye-bye. And we got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Hey. Good how morning. How you doing, uh, Lewis? Great, man. I got a 2010 Toyota and a couple of questions. I don't know what you thought about that recall. <laughs> I really haven't noticed a major problem Dave, with it. Mike, in my opinion, that is more politically motivated than it is a problem at all. I have looked at what they say. Now, unless there's something they're not saying. I have looked at that gas pedal. I went and bought one of those gas pedals and took it apart. And that is so overblown for the problem. I mean, my personal opinion is that the UAW is leaning on somebody to try to smear Toyotas because they're about to kick their butt off the planet. It just looks like a trumped-up deal to me. Again, that's my opinion. But looking at that gas pedal, that is such a minor problem. Basically, a squirted WD-40 would fix that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, no, I haven't noticed the problem with mine, but they recalled it and did whatever they said they were going to do to it. Right, it's a little shim they it. put behind the spring on the gas pedal. The way it works, David, is drive by wire, just like every other car being built today. And because you're only working a sensor with your gas pedal, there's no resistance on the pedal. It would just flop. So uh-huh. what they did is they put a spring behind it to give you some resistance, and then they put some little friction plates in there to actually give you some pedal feel. Oh, and yeah. the balance between the spring and the friction plates aren't exactly right. So what can happen if you Holding the pedal down at 40 miles an hour, you let up, it'll keep going 40 miles an hour. Now, yeah. if you tap the pedal, it'll come up. But it can't accelerate out of control unless you're already on the floor and let it up, then it's going to stay on the floor. But, I mean, worst case scenario, you reach over and you turn the key off. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Kick it neutral. I mean, hit the brakes. Come on, man. I mean, you don't just go plowing along 100 miles an hour until you run into something. Right. I mean, it just seems very, very out of order to me. Now, again, it may be something we don't know about. From everything I've seen, read, and I've looked into it a good bit, in fact, I'm fixing to post some pictures on the website of what's going on with that. But again, like I said, man, I, I still stand by Toyota. I take one any day over any other car on the road. Yeah, I haven't had any problem with it. Just when this came up, it mm-hmm. surprised me that yeah. there was some problem with it. You got to admit, too, I mean, I don't know if you watched those Senate hearings, but here's a bunch of boobs, in my opinion, questioning a man of honor. And yeah, what do you no- say? He says, he says, I'm sorry. You'd never hear that out of one of the big three. No. I'm sorry. We'll fix it. You know, I mean, yeah. I really felt sorry for him. You know, being grilled by these morons who, who don't have enough sense to understand what he's even saying. Hello? I think we need to recall the House and the Senate. <laughs> Leave Toyota alone. Okay, well, one other. Well, I'm, 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 I'm totally out of time, man. Go ahead and send me an email. I'll try to get you an answer. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate him listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.